0: Nice cold rain to start the day and the setup team got going at the normal time. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing to see. Good to be together. So we can finish up, as Lindsay said, the book of Jonah. Jonah is a book in the Old Testament. We have been studying it since the new year began. And today our passage is Jonah chapter 4. That's the last chapter. Jonah chapter 4 verses 1 through 11. Ben read this for us earlier is the conclusion of the book and it revolves around an object lesson so part of what i love about god are the different ways that god teaches us the different way god reveals himself to us that's part of why for instance we want you to be taught by different people within our church because i teach different than dr Bud teaches than holly teaches than your bible study or community group leader teaches and that difference is a good thing Because that difference will help you see God from different perspectives. We see the same thing in the Bible that there are four accounts of the life of Jesus in the Bible. And the early Christians did not feel the need to to compile those into one master copy. Instead, they left four different ones in there Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now each of those authors uses their own writing style, they focus on different events, they highlight different parts of Jesus' character, and those four accounts work together to create a bigger and grander picture of who Jesus is. So in the passage for today, God is going to teach through an object lesson. God is going to teach Jonah one final thing through an object lesson. God is going to take a little ordinary object and give it a special and unforgettable significance. Now, in case you are so excited about the Super Bowl that you have forgotten the book of Jonah up until this point, here's a quick summary of the book of Jonah thus far. Now, some people have been asking, me, Michael, who are you for in the Super Bowl? And I think you can tell right here. I am for Davidson. I am always for Davidson, always, and I, you, believe me, believe that they are not going to lose the Super Bowl this year. So here we go. The book of Jonah begins with a guy, and the guy's name is Jonah. Very good. Some of you have been listening. Jonah was a prophet during the time of the Old Testament. God gives him a very simple command, and it's a command that rocks his world. That command is, go to Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. The Ninevites were people that Jonah and all his friends never, 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 ever wanted to associate with. And here's God telling him, go to Nineveh. Step outside of your comfort zone. Walk with God into the unknown. Spread God's love, even to the people that you don't love. But instead, Jonah runs away. Nineveh is to his east. Jonah heads west. When he hits the Mediterranean Sea, he gets on a boat to head to Tarshish, which is even further west. He is running away from God. But in a wonderful turn of events, God rescues Jonah, and then Jonah decides to go to Nineveh. And when he gets there, he preaches a very short sermon. Because of this, many of you have asked, Can Jonah fill in for you next week, Michael? The people in Nineveh are deeply moved by Jonah's Words. They evaluate their lives, and they realize how far from God they have fallen, and so the Ninevites turn to God. They ask for God's forgiveness. The king issues a proclamation that there needs to be a time of national mourning for how wicked the society has become. And as God always does with true repentance, God shows mercy to Nineveh. Where there is true repentance, God shows mercy. God shows mercy to Nineveh. It is a beautiful, a beautiful story. That God would, would take someone like Jonah who was running away from him and would then use him. Jonah would walk outside of his comfort zone. He'd be willing to take a risk knowing that God was with him. He spread God's love to a group of people who needed it. They received that love with open minds and with repentant hearts. Is a beautiful story. And then comes chapter 4. And in chapter 4, we learn that one person is not happy about this whole God having mercy on Nineveh thing. And that person, it turns out, is Jonah. Chapter 4 begins, But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. So Jonah is angry about God forgiving the people in Nineveh. Jonah is angry about God showing mercy to the people in Nineveh. Now you might ask yourself, what in tarnation? It's a very technical theological question. What in tarnation? Why is Jonah so upset that God loves and shows mercy to the people in Nineveh? Now we could ask ourselves a similar question. Because who is your Nineveh? What is your Nineveh? What might God ask you to do that would push you beyond where you feel comfortable? Is there a person or a group of people that is simply hard for you to love? So what if God began to do great things in the life of that person or that group of people, what if, in fact, you even played a role in that? What if they experienced some bit of God's love through you and that helped them turn towards God? Would you be happy about that? The book of Jonah is pointing out there's at least part of us that would not be happy about that. That there's part of us that wants God to deem those people unlovable. So Jonah continues. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sin and calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. And then the Lord replies to him this, the Lord replies to him, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry? So God says, go to Nineveh. Jonah ran away. But what we we learn here in this little detail is he didn't just run away because he was scared of leaving his comfort zone. He didn't just run away because he wanted to stay with the world that he knew. Part of why he ran away is that he knew God would show grace and compassion to the people in Nineveh, and he did not want that to happen. This is when chapter 4 of Jonah, you realize, is like the Dr. Phil chapter of the Bible. Like, Jonah, what are you thinking? Because there are people. That was pretty good? Okay. Uh, yeah, I moonlight as a Dr. Phil impersonator. Yeah. There are people and there are groups of people that we don't love. And so deep down, we don't want God to love them either. Because if God doesn't love them, then we'll be justified in not loving them. So see what we're trying to do? We're trying to justify our position. But then God says, go to Nineveh. Let a person who doesn't, you don't love experience my love. God starts to confront the way that we're thinking. God starts to unravel our need for self-justification. And that process can be painful. What I'm saying in all this is that it requires some internal work to be an instrument of God's grace and truth in the world. It requires some work on the inside to be an instrument of God's grace and truth in the world. Because if you follow Jesus, or if you ever decide to follow Jesus, you're going to bring some baggage to the mission of spreading His love. That's natural. Everybody brings baggage to this thing. But you and I also need to be willing To do the hard work of letting Jesus confront the baggage, letting Jesus unravel the baggage, ultimately letting Jesus heal the baggage. So, God's gonna start this somewhat painful process in Jonah's life through an object lesson confronting the baggage, starting to unravel the baggage, starting to heal the baggage. Here's how it continues. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I am so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. All right. So Jonah goes east to the city. He's sitting in his little shelter. Why do you imagine he's doing that? I imagine because he's hoping God changes his mind about this whole show mercy to Nineveh thing, and Nineveh is going to become a firework show. And then, of course, Jonah would be justified in not loving the people in Nineveh. He had obeyed God. He had served the people in Nineveh. Why did he need to love them? Now, obeying God is a good thing. Serving people is a good thing. And God is about to show Jonah that he is also missing the point. There is something deeper that motivates God, and there can be something deeper that motivates us. And so God causes this little leafy plant to grow near Jonah, and it provides him some much-needed shade. And Jonah loved that little leafy plant. And then the next day, God sends a little worm, and the little worm starts to chew on the leafy plant, and pretty soon the leafy plant dies. And so Jonah is distraught. Not only did God show mercy to the people in Nineveh, his leafy plant has died. Oh, the humanity <laughs> of it all. And then God asks him a very fascinating question. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Now, that may sound familiar because earlier God asked, Is it right for you to be angry about Nineveh? About Nineveh was implied, but he says, Is it right for you to be angry about the, me showing mercy to the people in Nineveh? Now he's asking, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? He just tied the two together. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. So, God is pointing out how wrapped up Jonah got in this little plant. Now, what control did Jonah have over the plant? What real contribution did Jonah make to this plant? This is when I started to realize my life is full of leafy plants that I can get really wrapped up in things over which I have very little control and to which I have contributed very little. I can get really wrapped up in things like uh, my tax rate, things like whether the cats win or lose, the Davidson Wildcats, I'm saying. Things like whether the traffic light turns red as I'm approaching the intersection and maybe I'm a few minutes late. Now, the truth is, generally... All those things are beyond my control. I provide, contribute very little to any of those things. As much as I hate to admit it, Davidson does not win or lose based on me knowing all the words to the fight song, which I do, and it's a small novel. The point is this. God's point to Jonah, God's point to us is this. You know how to care about things. You know how to care about things. I know how to care about things. We do it all the time. In fact, we do it all the time about things we can't really control. Some of it's not even really that important. You and I know how to care about things. The point being, don't lose sight of caring about the most important things. I mean, I still plan to have an opinion about my tax rate. I still plan, want the traffic light to stay green when I approach the intersection. I still plan to know all the words of the fight song. But God's point to Jonah is, make sure you care the most about what's most important. Make sure that you and I care the most about what's most important. And so God says to Jonah, you've had so much concern about this leafy plant, though you did nothing to cultivate it. Verse 11, the conclusion of Jonah, and should I, God, not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? In other words, who struggle to distinguish between right and wrong. A hundred and twenty thousand people who cannot tell their left hand from their right, their right hand from their left, and also many animals. And that's the end of the book. <laughs> I had I had challenged folks to just read the book of Jonah uh, once or twice or how many times during this series, and uh, someone took me at least one person took me up on that, and wrote me a note and said, uh, "Did they lose the the ending? <laughs> how is that the ending?" It's the only book of the Bible that ends with a question, and it is a doozy of a question. God asked Jonah, if you can care so much about leafy plants, how much more must I care about Nineveh? If you can become so deeply invested in something you can't really control and which you really contributed nothing to, how much more deeply invested must I be in Nineveh? And then he leaves Jonah and you and me to wrestle with that question. I've wrestled with that question for a while, and I have at least two takeaways I'd like to point out from it. Number one, number one, number, 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 number one. God loves people deeply because He created us. If we can care so much about the leafy plants in our lives, how much more must God care about His creation? How much more must God care about those that He created and those that He loves and those that He offers to redeem If you've ever created a work of art, or if you've ever written something you truly believe, or if you've seen a project through from beginning to end, then you've tasted a little bit of this. You know how deeply invested you can become in what you create. So how much more deeply must God be invested in what He created? I'm convinced, for instance... Part of why I never wanted to see the grade on a paper I wrote was not so much I was concerned about the grade, but to the extent I'd actually put myself into that paper, I didn't want to be evaluated on it, because it felt like it was evaluating me at some level. So how deeply must God love what He creates? How much God must treasure each and every person? You matter to God and not because of what you achieve or not because you're trying hard to improve you matter to God because you exist because you're his creation and as we see in God's response to Nineveh spiritual and moral confusion moves God to compassion so that your confusion or your fumbling around like you're walking in the dark, God doesn't hate you for that. It moves God to compassion. It reinforces to God how much you matter to Him and how He wants something better for your life. God's love extends to all people. That means God loves you deeply. That's the good news. Here's the hard news that could become good news. It also means that God loves people deeply whom you and I don't love. And that gets me to number two, number two, number, 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 number two. God invites us to love other people deeply because He created them. And not just the people we already love, not just the people who can advance our career or whom we idolize, talking about the people it would be a stretch to love. See, we, we kind of draw our little circle like, these are the people I love. And then what God does, is He comes in and He says, let me stretch that out just a little bit. Some of the best spiritual growth happens as God starts stretching out that circle. Because in the stretching, we have to confront the mismatch between what we care about and what God cares about. In that stretching, we have to confront that God is not simply calling us to obey Him, though He is. He's not simply calling us to serve others, though He is. God is calling us to do these things out of love, out of a deep sense of love, a love that is real, a love that is sacrificial. And here's the turn that in the greatest object lesson of all, hours before his death, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. It will be broken and torn for you. He took an ordinary object and gave it a special and unforgettable significance. He poured wine into a cup and he said, this is my blood. It will be poured out for you. On the cross, Jesus dealt with the liabilities of being us so that we could enjoy the benefits of being Him, the benefits of being God's child. All that you and I need to be reconciled to God, Jesus offers to us as a gift. All that you and I need to be reconciled to God, Jesus offers to us as a gift, as grace. My point being, His love for you is real, and His love for you is sacrificial. He invites you to come and receive that love. To let that love get deep inside of you. So that then you might be able to turn around and love other people with a love that is real. And a love that is sacrificial. Even if it means stretching the little border you and I have drawn. Of these are the people I love. So we prepare ourselves for a time of prayer and reflection and communion. As we do that, I would like to ask you this question. What does the real and sacrificial love of Jesus mean for you? What does the real and sacrificial love of Jesus mean for you, and what does it mean for the person or people in your Nineveh? Have you ever received Jesus' gift of reconciliation back to God? You can let go of your unworthiness and embrace your Creator because of the sacrificial love of Jesus. And if Jesus could love you that much, imagine how much He must also love the people you interact with day in and day out. And maybe even the people you and I work hard to not interact with day in and day out. So that's the book of Jonah. Not bad for a little four-chapter book. I would like to close out this part of the, our time, though, with a time of extended prayer and reflection, reflection on love that is real, and sacrificial. During this time, I would also invite those who are Christians to come and receive communion, no matter what branch of the Christian family tree you fell out of. If you follow Jesus, I'd invite you to come and receive. If you've just recently become a Christian, or today you would like to become a Christian, to commit yourself to Jesus, I would invite you to come and receive as your way of signifying that. So there'll be six stations around the room where you can do it, two in the middle, the four corners, they are all the same except for two. In that corner will be the gluten-free station, and that corner will be the kneeling station. At any station, you can come, take a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, and receive it there. The Apostle Paul wrote these words to the Corinthian church. He said, I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. You proclaim a love that is real and sacrificial. Let's pray together.